we've all been navigating 18 months of this global pandemic. We've been navigating racial awakening. I'm here in the States, obviously. And so that in and of itself, those are all contributing things to burnout. Just as a Black woman in America, I know that there is the additional layer of emotional exhaustion that just comes from, I show up in the world as a Black woman. And with that, there is baggage, and, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation, almost like an Instagram filter, where if you are going throughout your day-to-day life, there's the world that you see around you, but then knowing that you walk around in a particular body and you show up in the world in a particular identity that almost filters the experience that you have with the rest of the world. I don't have any children. I have an amazing niece and nephew who I love like they are my own. But post George Floyd, I had a conversation with my nephew. He just turned 11. And he's like, I don't know as a kid when we stop being cute. You know, I don't know when we stop being just like a kid and when we start being threatening. And my heart like broke in that moment. And we had additional dialogue around that. He's very inquisitive. He's really smart. He goes to private school. His private school is predominantly white. And he was hearing dialogue and conversation in classroom settings that he had to come home and ask his parents and his family questions about. So like that's um, an example of something that causes additional burnout because now not only are you just trying to navigate a global pandemic, trying to navigate the bigger world picture of racial awakening in America, you're looking at your little person with eyes and cheeks and you know, a body that you just want to squeeze and love and protect. My co-host Kelly Thompson is on leave, but you are joined by me, your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Both men and women are feeling even more burnt out in 2021 than they were in 2020. The annual Women in the Workplace report from McKinsey & Co. and LeanIn.org found that the gap between women and men who say they're burnt out has nearly doubled in the last year. Women in particular have taken on more responsibilities at home, from supervising remote learning for their children to basic household chores. Women have also been forced out of their jobs at a disproportionate rate. The U.S. Census data reports that there are nearly 1.5 million fewer mothers with children 18 or younger in the workforce in March 2021 compared to February 2020. And more recently, following decisions of high-profile athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles to step back from competition to prioritize their mental health, thousands of people have taken to social media to applaud these decisions. And while we are more aware of the impact of burnout than arguably ever before, what we often don't acknowledge is that not all burnout is the same. In an article for Elle magazine, racial justice educator and author Rachel Ricketts shares why society needs to reckon with the stress and trauma it inflicts on black women. She writes, The oppressive systems we live and work under have created a burnout epidemic And this is all worse for black women and femmes who have a long legacy of exhaustion at the hands of white supremacist heteropatriarchy. Imagine the impact when on top of their daily strife of enduring systems of misogynoir, you're also forced to weather an unprecedented and entirely mishandled health pandemic that is statistically more likely to murder you. 
Black women persist, despite a system set up to ensure they don't. Black women don't need to learn to lean in. They're already doing this by simply showing up every day and overcoming one barrier after another. Black women must persist against the odds just to do their jobs, be treated fairly, get paid equally, and access leadership opportunities. We need to create a work environment where black women don't have to lean in, perform to a high standard, or deal with excessive burnout because the organization already works for them. On this episode, I'm joined by career coach Ashley Morgan to discuss why black women's experience of burnout is different and what we can do to tackle this issue, and importantly, how all of us can navigate burnout and manage our well-being in difficult times. Here, Ashley will start us off by sharing what burnout is. Burnout is kind of classified primarily by emotional exhaustion. It's that feeling of, I've done absolutely everything that I can do, and I'm past my capacity. I like to say it's that thing where you've done all the things and you lay down your head at night and you still wonder if it was good enough. Like you have just this tape running in the background of your mind. Is it enough? Can I keep doing this? Can I keep doing more? Should I keep doing more? And it ultimately leads to exhaustion. And then when you get to, you know, that place of burnout, you know, you've hit burnout when you stop caring because you have carried such an incredible burden and such an incredible weight for such a long time. And you just start to think, you know what, this doesn't even matter anymore. Like I can't care because I don't even have the capacity for that at all. So emotional exhaustion is often the top, I guess, challenge or opportunity that someone might face. In addition to that, depersonalization, desensitization, lack of empathy, when you stop being able to care about the world around you or what somebody else is going through or experiencing, you are often in a place of burnout. And that could be both personally and professionally. For many of us who are working from home during the pandemic, the blurred lines between home and work have made it much harder to switch off. In fact, a recent study by Monster found that 69% of employees working from home are experiencing symptoms of burnout. Acknowledging burnout is one thing, but dealing with it effectively is quite another. How many of us can honestly say that we've got good coping strategies for dealing with burnout? To help us all out, Ashley shares important strategies that anyone can use for dealing with burnout. We are conditioned to believe in particular as women, as caretakers, as nurturers, that we have to be the ones taking care of everything. And there is this pressure often both internally and externally put on us to kind of handle it all. And I can relate to being highly functioning, high achieving, high performing, that woman who is often kind of type A, like, let's just, let's just get stuff done. And you push and you push and you push, and you don't realize always that you've reached max capacity until it's really bad. And then there is often this gaslighting that occurs because you start saying, well, I have all these things in my life going right. I have all these kind of high level problems. Maybe I've got a good job. I mean, one of the things I found during the pandemic from some of my clients is that they didn't lose a job during the pandemic. They didn't lose any income during the pandemic. They had resources to help support them in terms of childcare and stuff like that, but they were still finding themselves at that emotional wall. And so a lot of it's social conditioning, right? So it's not totally on you that you would feel like I need a permission slip or I need it to be safe to rest, right? Because it's a challenge. And so I think number one, just being able to acknowledge it is a really huge step because we are taught to treat overwhelm, overwork, 
kind of hustle culture as as a badge of honor. We do it honorably. I mean, I used to in corporate America feel very proud when I could say, oh my God, I've worked a 70 hour week and it's been crazy. And you know, you sit down with your girlfriends at dinner, you chug a glass of wine and you're like, oh God, you know, it's so good. But you are tired and we need to be honest about that. And so I think awareness and just having that initial dialogue is really important. And then I think from there, it's a matter of starting to look at where specifically am I feeling burnt out the most? Because I think what ends up happening is we can segment our lives. Sometimes work might be going really well, and it might not feel like, quote unquote, work is the thing burning you out. Sometimes it could be mothering. Sometimes it could be the duties that you have as a partner. So look at, you know, where am I feeling the most emotionally exhausted, the most depleted? From there, once you kind of identify the source, I think it can take a couple of different approaches. You some, Sometimes you need to seek out external support because you realize, okay, I am really in it and I can't walk myself like to the other side alone. And so you do actually need to reach out, whether that's a coach, whether that's a therapist, whether that's your doctor, whether it's just reaching out to your circle in your life saying, guys, like I am not doing okay. Like I need help and saying, I, you know, I need some support. And then once you've done that, I think you have to start looking at what are the things that you can eliminate from your schedule right away. I think things that contribute to the overwhelm and things that contribute to the exhaustion. Now, I understand that there are going to be listeners who hear this and think, I don't have anything that I can give up. And so, you know, maybe their schedule is just really jam-packed. Perhaps they're in a single family situation where maybe they are the only one taking care of children or things like that. And in those moments, in those instances, rather, you have to find things that you can do in the small pockets of time that you do have to help you process through your emotions because there's an emotional response cycle. And often what ends up leading to that feeling of burnout, that feeling of like, I'm at my end, almost if you were to think of a match, burning, 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 and then you uh, end up with nothing but ash. There is an emotional response cycle. And if you don't process the emotion of the stress that you're dealing with, the chronic stress, if you don't do anything to deal with it, it gets stuck and it gets stuck and stored in your body. And then, then you start to experience the physiological effects of burnout. And so there are things that have been proven to help you feel better, which is often, you know, in the moment, what you can do to help manage burnout. So that could be things like laughter, finding a really good friend to just share like genuine, authentic laughter is a physical way that your body processes stress, dance. Shonda Rhimes talks about in her shows, she talks a lot about dancing it out. And there is scientific research that shows when you move your body, you give yourself permission to release the stress and you are sending a, a signal to your nervous system that says you are safe. It's okay to calm down. And in that moment, that is, you know, three to five minute dance party in the kitchen that lets you take a deep breath and relax and you start to calm, you start to calm down. So those are just two examples. I could share more uh, and we can, you know, perhaps put it in the show notes, but there are lots of things that you can do to move through that initial cycle of just, you know, I'm stressed out because you get into burnout because of chronic stress, right? And we can't eliminate stress from life. It is what it is. So learning how to manage that is, is where the big difference maker ends up being. The woman in the workplace study mentioned earlier found a major disconnect between black and white employees' experiences of inequality at work. 
For example, the research found a disconnect between what white employees perceive as valuable allyship to women of color in the workplace and what they actually do. For example, while 77% of white employees consider themselves to be allies to people of color at work, only 21% reported consistently advocating for opportunities for women of color, and only 10% reported mentoring a woman of color. Two acts that women of color surveyed said were very important to their own advancement. This disconnect is how workplaces often unintentionally gaslight black employees, as the company believes it's doing all it can to support equity and value difference. But the lived experience of racial and ethnic minority employees is very different. Here Ashley shares why not all burnout is the same. There is that surface level burnout, you know, that's often just the result of doing all the things, whether that's personally or professionally, you know, as it relates to just, you know, wanting to show up every day and do a great job at work, wanting to be a great leader, wanting to be a great mother or partner or wife or, you know, daughter, just whatever your role is, wanting to do that and execute that well. And then we've all been navigating 18 months of this global pandemic. We've been navigating racial awakening. I'm here in the States, obviously. And so that in and of itself, those are all contributing things to burnout. Just as a Black woman in America, I know that there is the additional layer of emotional exhaustion that just comes from, I show up in the world as a Black woman. And with that, there is baggage. And and I don't mean that in a negative connotation, almost like an Instagram filter, where if you are going throughout your day-to-day life, there's the world that you see around you, but then knowing that you walk around in a particular body and you show up in the world in a particular identity that almost filters the experience that you have with the rest of the world. I don't have any children. I have an amazing niece and nephew who I love like they are my own. But post George Floyd, I had a conversation with my nephew. He just turned 11. And he's like, I don't know as a kid when we stop being cute. You know, I don't know when we stop being just like a kid and when we start being threatening. And my heart like broke in that moment. And we had additional dialogue around that. He's very inquisitive. He's really smart. He goes to private school. His private school is predominantly white. And he was hearing dialogue and conversation in classroom settings that he had to come home and ask his parents and his family questions about. So like that's um, an example of something that causes additional burnout, because now not only are you just trying to navigate a global pandemic, trying to navigate the bigger world picture of racial awakening in America, you're looking at your little person with eyes and cheeks and you know, a body that you just want to squeeze and love and protect. And you're having to explain to them why the world is the way that the world is. And it doesn't make sense, you know? And so that's additional emotional labor. And then you lay your head down at night. And so you're not just thinking about dishes and the work project that you need to get done. You're now also thinking about this kid that you love, who you, man, you think the world of, you, the world should be their oyster. You know that they are going to face challenges. And I tell that story because it's one that I know people can really connect with. And it was really impactful for one of my best girlfriends. She's white and she has two boys of her own. And we were sitting on her back deck and having some wine and kind of chatting about everything going on. And and she was like, when you told me that, my perspective on everything changed because I've never had to have that kind of conversation with my son. 
that would be differences in terms of burnout. So of course she's a mom, she's got two boys, she's got a big job. Uh, she works for a huge cor- corporation, super successful. She does all the things, but that difference in terms of one mom is going to bed, no fear or worry or concern about their son or my sister, you know, who's actually my, my nephew's mom is going to bed with additional concerns. My sister, big job, works for, you know, a local city organization, has two children, is married, has all the things as well, but two different levels of concern that they have to have. Finally, Ashley shares what black women can do to manage the disproportionate burnout they face, and importantly, what leaders can do to ensure that black women don't have to. I think one of the most powerful things black women can do themselves is just reject the strong black woman trope. It is such a common ideology of just like, you've got this, you can handle it, you can take it. And yeah, you can, but should you have to? The answer is no, absolutely not. What I understand is that it can be challenging because it can feel like rejecting a part of your identity to say, I need help. To first acknowledge I am in a place where I need support and then be open to receiving the support. That is difficult. I think it's difficult when you're a pusher and I equate myself to being a pusher, like somebody who's like used to just going, 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 going. And it's hard because it feels like I'm rejecting a part of myself. And so it doesn't necessarily feel safe to ask for help, to ask for support. And it doesn't always feel safe to receive it. Number one, we have to be willing to acknowledge I'm not okay. Number two, we have to be willing to ask for the help that we need. Number three, you have to lean into your community. I feel so incredibly blessed with the sisterhood, the women that I have in my circle, both in my immediate family and my friends, because we just, we take care of one another. It's one of the most transformative things I think in my life in terms of just how you get through the difficulties of life. I mean, if you look at the definition of resilience or just like what allows someone to be resilient, one of the factors is community. So cultivating community with people who understand you, with people who empathize with you, with people who are going to listen to you and show up for you is so crucial. So that's something you can do personally, really cultivating your relationships, leaning into those safe places. And then also within the workplace, having honest conversations with your boss about what is going on. I led teams of up to 100 people when I was in corporate America. You know, and this was before it was popular. I feel like the last 18 months have kind of normalized this conversation around mental health days. But I used to tell my team members, you don't have to lie to me. Don't tell me you're sick. Like, Just be honest with me and say, I can't today. Now, you can't tell me that at 725 when you're supposed to be at the office at 730. You know, but if you need to take a day because you just can't today, like, be honest with me about that. So have um, honest conversations with, with your leadership in workplaces. And if you are a leader in the corporate space, you have a responsibility and an obligation to take care of your people. One of the best leadership advice that I got early on in my career was take care of your people and they will take care of the business. That never failed me over my course in corporate America. If you intentionally invest in your people, take care of them, make sure that they know that you are genuinely vested in their overall well-being, not just what they can produce for the bottom line. First of all, they're going to work harder for you and they're going to be loyal. But second of all, it makes a really big difference in terms of them feeling safe. So leadership has an obligation to make sure that their people know, I care about you. 
I care about your overall well-being, not just what you're producing for the bottom line. When you need something, please do speak up. And they have to lead that conversation. I can remember being in corporate during some of the various, you know, police involved shootings in, in, in the States. And it would be so frustrating to have that happen on a Thursday and go into work on a Friday and nobody's talking about it. And 14 out of my 16 years in corporate America, I was the only black leader on my leadership team. I was the only black woman. And so you go into these spaces and everybody else is fine. And you're dealing with this added emotional trauma of something that's just happened and you're still expected to show up and perform your work like normal. No, no. As a leader, you have a responsibility to go to your people and say, I know this happened. How are you? What do you need? You are not the inequality you experience. I'm going to say it again. You are not the inequality that you experience. When black women encounter invisible barriers at work, which negatively impacts their confidence, self-esteem and ambition, white women can disrupt the cycle by calling out the barriers, sharing what they know and taking action to remove these challenges. This might be as simple as naming these challenges when they show up for black women in your workplace. As soon as women recognize inequality for what it is, they stop internalizing it. This is a small but powerful way that women can come together and support one another. Developing a deep understanding of what the barriers are that all women face and sharing this information with women in your workplace can change the way that women see themselves, as women no longer have to question their capability or worth. This is also how we free each other from the invisible load inequality forces us to carry. This practice can dissolve the mental and emotional strain that comes with internalizing the invisible barriers created from racism and sexism. Calling the barriers out is how we educate our colleagues and remind all women of an important truth. It's not you, it's your workplace. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.